0: Uh, we are looking at Hannah this morning, um, and they mentioned Hannah too. Her story does start in, Han- in Hannah 2. <laughs> Feels like you're reading Hannah 1 and two. First Samuel 1 and 2, The story of Hannah. We, we meet her in First Samuel 1 as a person who is um, going through some hard things. Difficult family dynamics, unmet longings, um, struggling with identity, the role that society said she needed to play, um, she couldn't play. And what does that then mean? And what we see with her is the example of tucking your pain into the Lord, Um, being totally real about what you're experiencing. We see sadness. Um, We see anger, that um, when her husband, the word that he uses when he is asking her, you know, why is, like, why do you keep dwelling on this when there's so much good in your midst? The word is anger. So we see that she's sad, she's mad, and we see her taking that to the Lord. And, then we see that God hears her. And I think we need to be careful with that, that, that this isn't a story of Hannah did the right things and rubbed the genie bottle the correct way. And so she got the answer and and that that control thing, you know, that we can slip into. Like, I know what needs to happen. So maybe I'll practice authentic prayer, but you darn well better show up in the way that I'm expecting you to show up. We need to be careful about that. That this is Hannah was in her practice of authentic prayer in her surrender. As she was talking into God, he was filling her with his plan right so her prayers are in line with what he intends to do that that's part of the surrender that was happening for her was that that alignment that abiding and and so we see that As her prayer is answered and she has Samuel, even in his name, it's God heard me. That there was a profound experience for her. Again, this wasn't, this is broader than he answered that specific longing. This is, she had a profound sense of being seen and known. That she had that encounter with the divine the almighty God, knowing her so intimately and personally and ministering to her in very personal ways. And and then as we move on through her story, she had made a commitment to God, answer this longing, give me this child and I will give him back to you. But that wasn't an immediate thing. She had time to prepare for that. She had years to prepare for that. And that's our second lesson from Hannah is give ourselves grace for the process that hardly ever will God prompt us with something and ask us to jump immediately. And if he does, it's because he has already prepared us. We need to give ourselves grace and give each other grace for the process, that things take time. And that a big part of that process was she had had this powerful encounter with the Almighty God. She was continuing to abide in him. This wasn't a, oh, you answered my prayer, and now I'm going to go run off and do life on my own. That as she was attaching with her child, she was continuing to attach with her God, too. And that she knew things about God. This was at a time when the people were on the heels of the judges, the book of Judges. If you ever want to feel like heard in living in a messed up, Time, you know, read judges, and so she was having a personal encounter in a way that was not common at that time. And so, as she's preparing to surrender Samuel, we see one of the beautiful, uh, one of the beautiful parts of this story. I think is. 1 Samuel chapter 1, verse 28, when when she comes to the tabernacle, and she's handing her child over. And it says, and he worshipped the Lord there. Now different people, you'll see as you look through the commentaries, there are different opinions about who that he is. So this is my opinion, and you decide for yourself. I think that he's Samuel. I don't think that that means he knew the Lord personally, but I think it means this little monkey had watched his mom worship, because part of that season of preparation was she was going to have to keep going before the Lord. God, are you sure? God, is this what you really want? God, I don't know. God, I'm scared. How am I supposed to do this? So he would have seen her praying. He would have seen her worshiping because as she was tucking in in prayer, she was being reminded of the powerful ways he had shown himself in her life and that would prompt her to worship. So this little monkey had watched his mom pray, worship, pray, worship. And so I think this is him modeling or showing what had been modeled to him. And I think it's part of what helped her release of going, okay, he is in process. He doesn't know the Lord yet personally, but I trust that, that he sees, that he's been exposed, that he is, I guess, the longing that we all have for our loved ones, right? That, that they would someday know God in the powerful way that we've experienced him. It wasn't easy. Think about that time. She wasn't handing him over to great people. She wasn't handing him over to a safe. You heard stories about that bubble. We all long for that bubble. And that doesn't end with kids. We want to throw adults in the bubble, right? We want to throw people older than us in the bubble. I mean, we wish we just had a portable bubble. And I'm going to take, you know, maybe two, three, depending on what kind of mood I'm in, but take a few of you with me. So thinking about. That time, she's an example of release in a time that wasn't safe, in a time where everyone was doing what was right in their own eyes. That sounds a lot like our culture. And the people, the authority figures, you know, we heard stories about that fear of sending them off for seven hours under other leaders. She was sending him off full-time under awful men. Eli's sons were having sex with women at the entrance to the tabernacle, were bullying people and stealing what was meant to go to the Lord. They were horrible men, terribly unethical, not the kind of people that you would want to be the primary influences over your child. But Hannah knew a couple things that we still struggle to soak in. One was Samuel was never hers. Samuel was not hers. Samuel was God's. He was on loan to her. She had an opportunity to be a primary influencer. But just like the stories we heard, she wasn't the main character in his life. And he was never hers hers we really struggle to release the control because we think that people are ours and and we were meant to love them with that sort of fierceness there's a reason that we're designed to think that they're ours because that will prompt us to go on the line for them that will prompt us to do acts of self-sacrifice that will prompt us to remain faithful, and provide nurture and attachment. But we have to be careful that we're keeping it in line with truth. And truth is they are his. And the second thing that she knew, but we still struggle to know, is that it really... I mean, it does and it doesn't. Like, it does matter who our influencers are. It does matter where we are. Like, we're not supposed to just go drop off our loved ones in, you know, I don't know, wherever in your mind, like, the worst, most sinister place on the planet would be and just see you later kind of thing. But at the same time, she knew because of her years of tucking into the Lord She knew that God had a plan for Samuel and that that plan superseded whatever her human eyes were going to be distracted by. And her human eyes could be distracted by the unethical priests or by the pit of fear of I'm no longer going to be his primary attachment figure. Um, But God had been preparing her to practice a place of trust that he was going to keep moving in Samuel's life. That he was, it was this handoff of trust that he was actually the primary all along. And, And he loved, like... And he loves us in, in our place of thinking that we're that. You know, he's so gracious with us in that. Um, but she had had a chance to move a little further, I think, than many of us are in understanding that really it had been him all along. Um, some things on, on how, how did she actually do this. Um, Because I think that sometimes we can look at biblical characters. We can look at these women and, and think she was so humble and so sweet and so faithful and lose sight of how hard it probably was that this was the hardest thing she had ever done and that it wasn't a drop him off and now I'm good, but it was going to be an ongoing hard. So some things that we learn from her prayer, one is my heart rejoices in the Lord. And, and that's a, a reminder, what am I setting my focus I have a lot of opportunity for my vision to be filled by fear, by distractions that I can see, but I've got to remember that he's bigger, he's greater, and there's an interesting thing with this. there's something called bonding science. I don't if you've ever heard um, Sue Johnson's work. Uh, she's an attachment theorist. Um, there are a lot of other folks who um, have done research with this. And one of the things that we've learned from bonding science is that when you have an intense bonding experience, when they look at the brain. If that person then is, knows that they are about to experience pain, so a particular research study, there was an intense bonding experience, and then they were going to be sent into a machine where they knew they were about to be zapped, and it was going to be painful. But if they were holding the hand of the person that they had bonded with, they were calm. Their brain was calm. That's what Hannah experienced with God. She had had this intense bonding experience with him. She knew she was about to experience pain. She knew she was about to experience pain. But she also knew that the only way she would be able to continue moving forward was if she kept her eyes fixed on him. She was going to have to practice that. And it was going to take intentionality and it was, it was going to be a every day, every day, I'm tempted to let my eyes drift to other things, and I've got to put them back on him because that's the only way I'm going to get through it. The second thing that we see from her prayer, she says, my mouth boasts over my enemies. Again, this is my interpretation, so sort through it on your own but I think she's talking about the enemies that we as women struggle with, the enemies of fear, the enemies of control, the enemies of thinking that I know the way it's supposed to go, the enemy of thinking that I'm that main character, that, that I'm the one whose hand is supposed to be there when it's, no, it's supposed to be the Lord's hand around them. I think that as she was having this bonding experience with God, she was recognizing all of these enemies within herself. That it was less about, and there were plenty, and again, this is, you know, I'm going off the rails a little bit, so go back read through it decide for yourself it's okay to disagree it there were plenty of enemies that she could have been talking about outside but we know that at the end of the day our biggest things that we're battling tend to be within ourselves And so even in looking at my mouth boasts over these things, if we intertwine that with, as my vision is filled with you, I recognize that you will help me overcome those things that I battle within. And that that's a process, right? And he's so gracious. He is so gracious with us. For I delight in your deliverance. That's that practice that we've talked about of remembering. But we tend to remember in ways that uh, provoke self-torture. I'm going to remember what I could have done better. I'm going to remember when I messed up. I'm going to remember when I let someone down. I'm going to remember when I harmed or someone harmed me. This is the healthy practice of remembering of I'm going to look back and remember how big you are so that I am filled with courage and confidence. I'm going to look back and remember that you were my banner going before me in that incident so that I'm filled with the courage and confidence that I'm not the one on the front line and that it's not my battle to fight. And I'm going to practice then that posture of remembering being filled with courage and confidence and then watching for your hand. Because that's what we're supposed to do on this earth, right? Is be active watchers, looking for evidence of the almighty God being present and doing mighty works in our midst so that we're ready and eager to give praise. And to help other people see he really is doing things. He really is changing people. He really is drawing and bringing life out of death and beauty out of ashes and all of those images that we're meant to hold on to, to remember how big and powerful but personal and intimate he is. Uh, One of my favorite, favorite verses, part of Hannah's prayer. I didn't know that until... Looking back for this, there is no one holy like the God. There is, no one, there is no one holy like the Lord. There is no one besides you. There is no rock like our God. Isn't that beautiful? And isn't that fitting that it would be part of a prayer of someone who was walking out surrender and freedom in parenting, right? Or surrender and freedom when it comes to people that we feel responsible for. That I'm, as I'm remembering, as I'm being filled with courage, I'm also remembering I am standing on the rock. Do not let your mouth speak such arrogance, for the Lord is a God who knows. And that's just another reminder that it's his perspective, not mine. He knows more than I do. I'm pretty smart. But It's that as we're letting our vision be filled by him and as we're acknowledging the enemies outside and within and as we're practicing looking back on the evidence of his work in our midst and as we're looking at our footing, I'm standing on the rock. I'm not standing on the sand of a relationship. I'm not standing on the sand of my health. Or whatever else we try to stand on, but I'm standing on the rock. I'm, I'm more willing to be open in acknowledging that He knows so much more. And I'm willing to be open as I'm practicing that authentic prayer and continuing to tell Him yes, but. Yes, but. This is what I'm worried about. Yes, but. This is what I'd love to see happen. And it's okay to ask those things, right? But it's that openness of going, but I trust that if that's not the way it goes, it's because you're doing something greater. So when it comes to looking at our trust walk, Some things that we can look at practicing. One is modeling an authentic faith, not a perfect one. It's way more powerful to be real. The second thing is practicing real conversations. Our people need to know that we're willing to talk about things. Our people need to be asked questions, but not questions out of control, but questions out of invitation. That we want to know them and it's okay if they're different. We can handle that because that's that third piece is expanding our capacity to receive whatever they bring to the table. If you want to camp out on personal growth this year, camp out on expanding your capacity to receive whatever your loved ones bring to the table because they're going to keep doing it whether or not they talk to you about it. And so wouldn't it be better to be able to talk about it? Wouldn't it be better for them to share their real self rather than what we so often see in church settings, which is, You have a split self. You have what you present to others. But then you have what you're doing in secret. Let's become women who welcome. Welcome. Share it. Bring it. I can handle it. Now, you heard in the nurture stories This often will look like, on the outside, I can handle it. On the inside, I am freaking out right now, right? That's part of expanding our capacity is learning how to manage the internal so that we can remain present on the external. Practice this with each other. It's easier to practice it with a peer than with someone that we feel responsible for. So, practice it with each other first. That's part of why it's so critical to make time for community spaces like this. Practice so that then when you go into those spaces with the people you feel responsible for, they notice a shift in you. No longer are you trying to micromanage, are you trying to control, are you trying, let's be real, manipulate? Like, we can. We can manipulate in ways that look decently healthy. It's still manipulation. (laughs) They notice a shift. No longer are you trying to be that authority figure over them, but instead you are coming alongside of them. You are creating a safe space for them. You are inviting them to reveal the fullness of themselves. And and here's the powerful piece then you get to pray with more of the fullness of the information right all of a sudden you get a better sense of what's actually going on in their minds and in their heart and hey maybe they will trust you enough to actually ask for your input because isn't that much more like if we're looking at making change or like being an influencer when somebody asks us that's so much more significant than when we're just running around throwing it all over everyone right when they ask us they're open to receive it when we're running around we're like the Charlie Brown teacher nobody actually hears what we're saying We've talked a lot about the power of prayer. We're going to keep talking about it because we're working on believing it. The men around Samuel were corrupt. They were. And his mom, she had had a small handful of years to attach to him, but the rest of the time she saw him once a year. And you see this uh, little passage that talks about she would make a robe for him and bring it to him when she saw him. And again, this is me going off the line a little bit. But, but what I picture as she's making that robe was the tears and the prayers. And I think we are in a spot where we're doing that with some people in our lives, where we are making a little robe or we need to make a little robe. As a reminder, pray. Your job in this season, Hannah, your job in this season of Samuel's life is to pray. And so as you're making this robe, it's an opportunity to lay out all of your thoughts about him, all of your fears, all of your worries, and pray. You keep praying, you keep praying, you keep praying. Also... It's a chance you focus on that when you're making the robe, but then you've got these other kids you need to raise, too. You've got these other people that you need to care for, too. And we know that when we're consumed by worry about someone in our lives, it can truly consume us, right? All of a sudden, we are going through a fog, and that is not healthy. And so we need to figure out how to have that robe space so that that's our time to really go at it and lay it out and be totally real about the extent of what's going on when we think about that person. But then we, when we set that down, we are able to be present with the rest of what's going on. Life hasn't paused as we're worried about them. We see that Samuel remained faithful to the Lord. Samuel wasn't perfect. And even later when you hear about his kids, like, he, he wasn't a perfect dude. And, and I like the freedom in that too because we've got to figure out what are we striving for when it comes to humans that we feel responsible for. What... What's our end goal? What are we focused on? I hope it's more than we're trying to raise perfect people because that, that's going to fall short real fast, right? Samuel was a surrendered person. Samuel was a man who knew the Lord and was open to the Lord's work in his life. You know, we talk about David a lot uh, because David's such a great example, a man after God's own heart, and yet how many times did he screw up? And we have to hang on to that when it comes to the people that we feel responsible for because they are going to screw up repeatedly. And part of our expanding our capacity for whatever is brought to the table is giving permission for imperfection. We're all a bunch of sinners, right? And we all have that tendency to elevate other things onto the throne and to step on other things that aren't the rock. And often, we don't make that proper adjustment until we've been knocked down, right? I wish it was different. I wish we were better at recognizing that ourselves. And hopefully, we're moving towards that practice. But the people in our lives, it they're going to get knocked down. They're going to knock other people down. And so for us to continue to grow as women who can be present in the mess and the muck and the mire and are ready to celebrate in the times of revival and restoration and holiness. So our last thing that we want to think about, um, we've talked about rising as warriors, that God has designed us, to be nurturers, to um, be empathetic, but he has also designed us to be fierce warriors. And for those of you who were here last time, when we talked about the, um, that chant, that rugby chant, looking at um, drawing up the strength of who he is, and fixing our eyes on the banner who has gone before us, and that it is his power that flows through us. And so the warrior pose is one where we are tucking in to the Lord. We are practicing that, not in a rigid feel guilty because you're not waking up at 5 a.m., but in a I am real with you. I am practicing feeling safe and secure with you. I am recognizing the bonding experiences that we're having. I'm so grateful for your presence and your faithfulness and that you never get tired of hearing the same thing from me. Like when Katie was sharing that realization, oh wait, he only gave them manna for one day. It. He actually wants us to keep coming back to him. Stop apologizing for praying about the same things. He wants you to come to him with it. So it's that as we kneel down before our king, and as we lay out whoever we're making that robe for, and as we're real about the fullness of what we're experiencing when we think about that person or when we're walking through a season of release. Maybe it is a stage of parenting and we're stepping out of that notion that we were the main character and we're realizing more and more that our authority is actually pretty small and and we're kneeling before him. We're setting our eyes We're going through Hannah's prayer. We're setting our eyes. We're kneeling before him, but our eyes are lifted up. (coughs) We're allowing our vision to be filled with him. We're remembering who he says he is. And then we're being real about our enemies, outside or within. And we're sharing that with him. We're looking back, but looking back in a healthy way. We're becoming women who release the history that we torment ourselves with and give other people the freedom to no longer walk in that history. We don't have to recount all the mistakes. But we are practicing when we do look back, it is to draw strength. Those times when we go through a recounting it is to look for the evidence of his hand in our midst. We're checking what we're standing on. Am I standing on the rock or have I moved over to sand once again? If I've moved over to sand, I'm gonna be tender with myself. He knows that's our habit, but he's saying, hey, come on, kiddo, let's get back on the rock. Let's get your feet on firm ground And then we're asking him, please show me your perspective. Please teach us how to become women who are more closely aligned with the way that you view the world, with the way that you view my community, with the way that you view my family, God love them with the way that you view the people I feel responsible for, with the way that you view me. Please teach me how to see things the way that you see them. I know I'll never fully be there, but I long to be closer. And thank you for being so generous and compassionate and tender with me in my habit of continuing to think that I see things the right way. So we're gonna shift into some table time. We're not doing worship this morning uh, because we knew that with fitting in extra nurture stories that we'd need more time and we wanted to give you guys a little bit of time to share with each other Um, But one of the things that I would encourage you to be thinking about, even when it comes to what might that robe look like for you, how can you create a habit of having that focused time where you're going through the trust walk with God, but then you're able to step out of that and live in the fullness of his calling for this season of your life, and care about the other people in your midst, too, is ask him to show you, is there a verse that you'd like me to hang on to that could be my focus as you're teaching me how to do this trust walk? And, and that... That could be a part of the practice of the warrior stance is that as I'm, as I'm praying through this verse, as I'm, as I'm looking to soak in and better understand the truth of it, may you then fill me in that way. So I'm going to pray for us. Um, we're going to shift to table time We don't have set questions for this morning. Um, We wanted it to be more um, open-ended and flexible for what